today we're going to talk about um, really exactly what Diamond talked about. Uh, back in November, if you remember, um, a missionary named John Chow um, really caught the, the, the attention of the whole world um, when he was executed somehow, killed by the, the people that he was trying to reach on the uh, island way off of the coast of India, the North Sentinel Island, by the unreached people group that had really just been uncontacted and unaffected by the modern world and, and really is against the law to even approach them or be near them. And he uh, went to them to tell them about Jesus, and he was killed for it. And um, man, all kinds of stories uh, quickly came out, and all kinds of opinions quickly came out. Everything from, from people just appalled and completely disgusted at the idea that, that uh, this American would be so arrogant to think that these people who have survived for so long without um, you know, the church, without our culture, needed to be indoctrinated, and how just incomprehensible that, that we would be so arrogant to think that those people needed our message, and how dare he, and, and all kinds of um, messages of judgment and, and those sorts of things. And you had people from within the church just blanketly calling him a, a hero and, and a martyr and comparing him to Jim Elliott. And then you had a lot of people in the, in the middle there wondering, well, I mean, I certainly support this guy's heart to be a missionary to the unreached people groups, but, but maybe we should, uh, so we're kind of praising his heart and his passion, but maybe we should question some of his methods. And all kinds of conversations came out, and everybody seemed to have an opinion. A lot of people just didn't know what to do. But regardless of, of where you fell in that or even if you ever heard of it, what it did was kind of created this conversation once again and brought the idea of missions and Jesus' great commission, right, to go, therefore, into all the world, into all nations, to all people groups, and declare the gospel, right, and to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them and teach them to obey everything. And so what do we do with nations like that? Right, that's kind of the conversation that emerged from that. Like, okay, I, I get, you know, okay, this, this tragic story of this young man losing his life, um, what do we do with that? Should we all be like him, or, or should no one be like him? Should we just leave those people alone? And, and what, is, what is the tension that kind of arises? Because that's not the only people group. There's certainly one of the more extreme ones that have kind of been completely walled off from the modern world, but there's others that have never heard the name of Jesus, and they are difficult to reach because, to be honest, they don't want to be reached. And what do we do with that? What do we do with them? What do we do with these nations that are not only... Um, unreached with the name of Jesus, but hostile toward those that might want to bring that message. And, and where do we fall as the church? Where do we fall as Christians um, in this tension of God saying, yes, I, I want you to go to all these people. And yet, when this is the result, how, how do we interact? What is the right answer? And, and what do we do with that? And so that's kind of the tension that, um, that we feel. And I think it's common um, for us to kind of be caught in this um, tension of what do we do with stories like that? What do we do with people groups like that? And, and I, the good news is I think God's word has hope for us, not just in the book of Micah, but really scattered throughout all of it. And that's really what we're going to see from Micah today is because uh, when we feel the most tension about conversations like this is really whenever we have this narrow and really short-sighted view of the world and history, right? When we begin to think that um, you know, really, like, like, we wouldn't say this, but when we think it's kind of all about us and, like, 
our people, our time, our moment in history is kind of the most important in, in our country and all of those things, whenever we have kind of a short-sighted view of it, then we, we really don't know what to do with the tension that these unreached people groups and stories like this bring to us. But when we have a, a larger view, we remember what God is doing in the world and in history it brings some perspective and it brings some, some clarity upon that. Because whenever we get short-sighted, when we get selfish, when we start thinking that the world is, is just about what's right in front of us and we have to self-protect and, and, and kind of you know, keep our people safe and our beliefs safe and sacred, and then that's whenever we start to do some really weird things and we start to lose empathy on our fellow image bearers. And we start to judge other cultures and we think that everybody should look like us instead of understanding that Jesus has a mission to call all people from all nations to himself, and not to make them like Americans, right, but to make them like Jesus, and to make them worshipers of Jesus in their own native tongue, and in their own culture, and so um, when we lose perspective on that, it's when we start to do some really weird things, and that's what has happened in Micah's time. The people of Israel have lost sight of what God is doing in history. They, They have put their blinders on and just thought about what's in front of them. And that's led them to do some really evil things. And not only are they unsympathetic toward the people from the other nations of the world, which God had called them to be a light to, God had called them to be a safe place for sojourners and and refugees to come and and a place where you could be invited to worship the God of Israel. Um, Not only have they shut themselves off from that, but they've started to devour themselves as well. They've started to Um, take advantage of and mistreat one another. And so what happens is when we start getting this inward focus, not only are we no good to the world, we start to devour one another. And so, you know, a church needs a vision. Any people group needs a vision beyond themselves. Otherwise, we'll just start backbiting and everybody has a different idea and everybody starts criticizing. The same is true for a nation, right? Like we need a mission. We need a calling beyond ourselves. Otherwise, everybody's opinion just starts coming in and we get all kinds of Negativity, and, and that's what's happened to the people of Israel. They have lost sight of what God is doing in and through them, and therefore they have uh, really made a mess of the gifts and the promised land and all that God had given them. And so what we've talked about in Micah, in this tension series so far, is that God is bringing judgment. And it's not about them out there, right? God, it's not about God looking at the world and going, yeah, if, if those other nations, those other people groups, if they would just get their stuff, like, no, God is looking at his people. He's looking at the church. He's looking at the people that he's called to obey, the people that he has covenanted with, and he's speaking to them. And he's bringing judgment because of the way that they have mishandled the grace that they have received. And so the first three chapters of Micah have been intense, right? We've talked about God's judgment. We've talked about the idolatry of the people. We've talked about the twisted distortion of false teachers that have that has pervaded Israel's um, prophets and teachers and priests where they're no longer preaching the truth of God's word. They're just preaching whatever will get them rich. Like we've talked about all of those things, but now in chapter 4, Micah's writing takes a turn. And it's going to take a turn toward hope. It's going to take a turn toward what God is doing because when we get in the midst of this mess and there's judgment coming upon the world that we live in and the people group that we live in and that we look even further out into, like it's, it's disheartening enough just to listen to the the news that's going on in America and, and the tension between Democrats and Republicans and the, the, the political like hatred that has just exists in our world. We had, I had heard one guy describe it like this. It's kind of a lot like hearing, as a kid, you hear your mom and dad fight, right? And, and you hear them say things to one another that, that really make you wonder whether this is a stable environment anymore, right? And you really start to wonder whether or not 
You can be comfortable and safe there in your home because you're not sure if it's going to last. And that seems to be the, the, the turn that our nation has taken where it's no longer just about healthy dialogue and a, and a healthy tension between the political ideals that, that keep our country on a healthy path, but it seems to be uh, so dug in and so hate-filled that I'm not sure, like, we begin to wonder what's what is the path forward for our country? What, what happens here? And, and so it's discouraging enough just to listen to news about that. But then when you, you roll that out beyond the United States, you roll that out into the rest of the world, and you can get really, really discouraged. I know some people just don't watch the news, right? Because it's just really hard to tolerate. It's just really hard to, to feel good about anything whenever you have uh, the rampant evil destruction and war, um, trafficking, and all of these things that, that go on in the world. So when you roll that out, and, and, then, you, and then you go, man, I don't even know. And then, and then we got the church. Like, there's another scandal from the, from the Catholic church. There's another abuse of power. Like, and you start to just go, God, what are you doing, right? Like, God, where are you, first of all? And if you're here, what are you doing? What's your plan? Why isn't this stuff? Like, why is this happening? When will this end? What, what is my role? And many of us just want to shut down and pull away and just kind of stay as clean from it as we can and stay in our bubble. And, and, and listen, that's an understandable reaction because it's overwhelming when we look out and, and see that as the landscape that goes before us. And the good news is we're not the first ones to feel that way. The people of Micah's day also felt that way. Not only is their country in shambles, they don't have a, a leader that's going to lead them forward. Uh, they've been divided already, but they have um, enemies. The Assyrian army is marching in, and they are headed toward captivity, and they know it. And so um, they feel you. They know exactly what it's like to look around at a world and not sure where hope lies. And that is where Micah speaks in here from, from chapter 4. And here's, here's the big idea. Here's what he's going to want us to see, is that really it's, it's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about just this moment in time. God has a greater plan, a bigger plan, and we're all a part of that, and we're, we're we're characters, we're players in his story, and we have to remember what God is doing in the grand scheme, the large scheme of things. And so that's what he's going to remind his people of, is not just what their help is going to be in the moment. He says he's going to be with them, and he has a good word for them. He's going to stay near and preserve those that are faithful to him, but he's going to remind them of what's going on in the larger scale. And so if you keep your Bibles open there, or open them back up, or open your phone, however you want to have God's word before you, uh, whether that be a phone or a tablet, however it is, fire that up and keep it open. We want to look through this passage together in Micah chapter 4. Verse 1 says, It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of Jacob, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And what God is, what Micah is saying here is that, listen, don't forget, people of God, that this is where we're heading. That I, from the very beginning, it has never just been about the people of Israel. And if you've read through the Bible or you've kind of been in Sunday school, you know some of this. If, if not, it's totally fine. Well, here's what's going on in the context of these people that Micah is speaking to. They are the people of God that God has covenanted with and said, I'll be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to keep you. Uh, you're going to prosper. And, but he does this for a purpose, for a reason. This all started back in Genesis 12 with Abraham, uh, whenever God called Abraham um, to be um, the father of this great nation, he said, 
that I'm going to call you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a great nation so that you will be a blessing to all people in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And, and what we see here is that really uh, what Mike is going to remind them is that the big narrative of history is God's work of salvation. That all, like, what was going on then in their day and what's going on in our day, like, it's all a part of the long historic narrative arc of God's redemptive work and his salvation uh, work being applied to a broken world and broken um, people, right? And so that's what he's reminding him of. And so from all the way back from Genesis 12, whenever he called Abraham to be um, the father of this great nation, all the way back into that, he has reminded us and even, and, and that the whole purpose that he was going to do in building this nation was not just to bless them, but so that all the families of the earth shall be blessed there at the end of, of verse 3. And then what we see is that as he redeems them out of Egypt, as you know the story, these people are, are born, and then they get taken into Egypt. They flee there um, to get out of a country that has no food, right? And, and God's, the Egyptian people take them in, and, they, and they, they live there, but then they become not just welcome guests, but, all, but slaves, and they're there for 400 years, and the nation of Israel grows into uh, a huge nation of millions of people, and then God rescues them out of this slavery. And we know the story of Exodus. God sends the plagues. God rescues them out. God gets them across the Red Sea and then crushes the enemy. But then when he leads them out, what you got to remember, all of this is to an end, right? That God is once again working in the lives of these people so that he could be working in the grand narrative of history, so that he could bless all nations. If you go to that next slide from Exodus, he says, you yourselves I've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we know that he sends them into the promised land, and he blesses them, and then he builds this temple. And we're fast-forwarding through this story. But what we see as Solomon finishes and builds the temple, Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8, I believe, is he's going to say this. As Solomon is commissioning the temple, and this is, again, this is the meeting place between God, at, like, between heaven and earth, right? God's going to dwell there, and his people can come and worship there. But it's not just about his people. He says, uh, Solomon says this, it's the commissioning, the prayer for the temple. He says, likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your namesake. This is, this is Solomon praying to God. He says, when they come for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and, your, and of your outstretched arm. So all the work that God has done it, in the life of the people of Israel up to this point is not just about them. It is that people are going to hear from every nation and from the rest of the world about the work that God has done, for they shall hear of your great name. And, and he says, when a foreigner comes into the people of Israel, when he comes into the temple and he prays toward this house, Solomon says, you hear in heaven, Lord, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls you to, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do the people of Israel, that they might know that this is the house that I have built is called by your name. So you see in that the purpose of this temple, the purpose of God's work in his people Israel is to bless the nations. God wants people to hear about how he's treating these people. He wants the other nations to hear and to be called unto him. And then it goes on. We'll see that they mess that up, right? The people of God walk away from their covenant. There's this cycle that happens and leaders come and prophets call them out. One of those prophets is named Isaiah and he calls them out for this very specific thing. 
He says, um, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to them, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, they will bring to my holy mountain and make, the, uh, joyful, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcast of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him those besides those who have already gathered. So what we see is that the people of God, these people that he's talking about, the people of Israel, they didn't deserve God's favor, right? They didn't earn it. They weren't the best of the best. God didn't look around and say, okay, these are the, the top tier of morality. I'm going to take them, be the, put them on my team. I'm going to bless them. No, these people didn't deserve it. It was pure grace, right? That God chose Abraham as pure grace that these people were born into the family of Israel, and God is... is uh, holding up his end of the covenant, and is all for his glory, for his name's sake, that he's loving these people. And what we see is it's not just about them, but God says, I'm going to make this so that other nations and other people can come and worship at my temple and meet me and be a part of this family as well. And so uh, you, you notice, if you go back one slide, Emily, you, you notice that he, he talked about, my house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples. Now, some of you may recognize that quote from when Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. And when he enters the temple in Matthew chapter 21, he freaks out. He freaks out at what the church has become, what the people of Israel have turned their worship into. And, and what God meant for this to be is a place where he would come and dwell, and his people would come and worship, and all the peoples of the earth would hear about it, and they could also come and worship and, and hear about the God of Israel, and they could be brought into this family. And what what has happened when Jesus shows up at the temple, he sees that that place that was supposed to be a, a meeting place a place, of, a place of prayer for all the nations and the peoples of the world, it's become a place of business. It's become a place for the uh, people of Israel and the, the leaders of the church to profit and to better themselves. And, and, and Jesus freaks out and, he and it says he entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and and the seats of those who sold pigeons, he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's that quote from Isaiah. A house of prayer for all peoples would be how it finished. But you, have ma you make it a den of robbers. And so we see that Jesus, one of the things that infuriates him the most, that this story that almost everybody knows about Jesus turning over tables, right, and driving people out with a whip, what he's angry about is that they've distorted what God meant for his temple to be. This was supposed to be a place where people from all nations, tongues, and tribes could come, hear about the God of Israel, and worship him as well. And Jesus says, you've turned it into a den of robbers. And, and that's what infuriates him. That's what causes him to do that famous scene of thro throwing over tables. And we see we think about, okay, so one of the common questions you get into this tension of our world is, like, how long, oh, Lord? Like, when, when does this end? Is he coming back? We, we know what he says he's going to do when he comes back. When, is that for real? How long should we wait? Do we just kind of, like, let this go until God handles it? Like, how long? What's the, what's the plan, Jesus? When are you, like, no one knows, but, like, what's the deal? Like, do we just kind of keep waiting? And, what, and really, Jesus actually gives us some instruction. We know that this is what he's been about. We've seen from the Old Testament, this is what he's moving toward, is that all nations would know him. But when Jesus comes and actually makes a way, and we know that Jesus does the work of salvation for us, right? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But one of the things he says in Matthew 24, he actually tells us what we can look forward to. He tells us his plan. He tells us when he's going to come back. 
right? It's not as big of a mystery as people want to make it out to be. And what he says is this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message to the world that you can't earn your salvation, that it's not about how you were born, what race you are, what tongue you speak. None of that matters. What matters is we've all rejected God. There's no one who does good. We've all walked away from him. That's what sin means, that that God had a way for us to live and it would go really well for us. And we've all walked away from that. Right? And because we've all walked away from that, we all are separated from God and on our way to hell. Right? And Jesus says it's not about what you can achieve, how good you can act, or what color your skin is. It's about whether you come and bow before me and ask for salvation. Because he says, I stand and give it with my arms open. Whoever would call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus, Jesus says, you shall be saved. You repent, turn from your wicked ways, and throw yourself upon Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll forgive you. Though your sins be made of scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Whatever guilt, whatever shame, whatever, whatever mess you bring into this room today, that message is still true. That's the gospel, that Jesus has come to save sinners, period. Not just the elite, not just those who have something to give, but the least of these, as we see in the, saw in the book of Luke that we spent last year, like the least of these, those that are broken and addicted and, and ashamed and those who have made a mess of their life, Jesus says, you come to me. You come to me. Like, it doesn't matter. You, you don't have to have anything to offer. I love you, and I gave my life for you. The gospel of the kingdom, that's what he's talking about, that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. No one comes into the Father but by me. It's not many ways. It's not, well, those, maybe those people are, you know, maybe they're finding their own way to God. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll see them in heaven too. You know, they just worship in their own way. No, no, the Bible says there's one way to be saved. That there's no one comes into the Father except through Jesus. Jesus says, my plan, my mission is to commission these disciples these, these people that I've rescued, that I've saved, to tell everybody that they can. To proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to all nations, to all tribes, to all, to the ends of the earth. And what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then what? And then the end will come. Yeah, people want to speculate. They want to draw up all these charts and diagrams and, you know, how many people throughout the course of history have said, I know, you know, I know when the world's going to end, I know when the second coming is, and they get people to do some really bizarre things, right? Jesus, like, makes it really clear, like, when all nations have heard, I'll come back, like, this end will, will happen. And people say, well, well, what does he mean by nations? What defines a nation? What defines a people group? What defines an ethnic? Like, what, what, is the, what does the language there mean? Maybe all nations have been reached, and maybe what is he waiting on? When can we know? And listen, here's the deal. What we know is that there's a whole, like several thousand people, group, people groups in the world, and what we know is that there's still about 1,500, 2,000 of them that aren't engaged and reached at all. Right? And again, maybe they fall under some bigger category. Maybe they, What we know is that Jesus ain't back yet. Right? So we still have work to do. Like, it's really simple. Well, he's not back yet, so we must still have work to do. He says, once all nations and tribes have heard, then the end will come. And then we have future prophecy in Revelation 19, 7, that Jesus tells us how this is going to end. And here's what he says. This is an amazing picture, and Diamond quoted this in her video. But it says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb 
That's how it ends. Starts in Genesis 12 by God saying, Abraham, I'm going to use you. I'm going to make this incredible nation out of you. But I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all people. And as God rescues the people out of Egypt, he says, I'm going to I'm doing this work so you can be a blessing, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation so that all people could come and know me. And then he brings them to the promised land, blesses them, flourishes them. They build this amazing temple, this amazing city of Jerusalem, and it's all for what? So that the nations could hear about the work that God has done in the people of Israel and they could come to him. And then all of that, none, like our greatest works could never reach him. We could not be good enough. So Jesus was sent to enter into our mess, to pay our price, to make a way for sinners of all tribes, tongues, and nations to come once again unto God, and he's done that, and he says, now you go. You've received this grace, now you go, and you tell it to all the world. You tell it to every people group, every nation, every tribe. And when they've all heard, I'll come back. We'll end this deal. That's the story that we find ourselves in. And we're right there. We're in between like we're, we're in the Matthew 24, 14 piece and before the Revelation 7 piece. Like we know Revelation 7 is where this is headed. And we're right here in, the, in this moment of Matthew 24, 14 actually happening. Right? That there are nations still to be reached that, ha- that have not heard the name of Jesus. And Jesus says they will know. They will hear. Will they all get saved? No. But they will hear. Because there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And they're not just going to be there because they were the best of their people or, or they, were, they were good enough or God was just kind and saved some. He says, no, they'll be there singing about Jesus as the crucified and risen lamb. They will only get to heaven by hearing the gospel. Period. That, that, that is it. Like, we, we wonder what's, what's the deal. Like, you know, when is our world going to stop fighting and what treaty will need to be passed and what people will need to be in power? And there's, there's constant talk about that on the news and, and there's an arms race and there's a tension of dictators trying to gather more power and all of this stuff is going to keep happening and keep happening because until Jesus comes back, there's no hope for peace, right? Jesus says, when I, like in verse 3, if we go back to um, chapter 4 of Micah, he says, he will judge between many peoples and decide for strong nations far away and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. There's a statue of that outside the United Nations where he says there will be, there will be a day when these nations will no longer need their swords and they'll beat them down into plowshares and they'll take their spears and turn them into pruning hooks and nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall set every man under his vine and under his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Jesus is the only hope for our broken world. Listen, I'm not, saying, like, I'm not saying we just walk away from good policy and good leaders. Like It is those world leaders, it is those policies, those treaties that united. Like, they, th- that work holds at bay the evil that our world contains. Right? Like, we want those things. We want good leaders making good policies, uh, standing up for the vulnerable. Like, those are all, like, politics serve a good purpose, and I'm not saying that they, they don't... Um, have a role in the life of the Christian, or that the Christian shouldn't be involved in that realm. Like, absolutely, get more of us, more of people with God's heart and God's perspective in those offices to speak into those policies, absolutely. But the big, what you need to remember is that our hope doesn't lie in those types of things. That our nation, the United States and our president is not sovereign, neither is Russia's, neither is Israel's, neither is China's. Like, those people aren't 
sovereign, right? They serve a purpose. The Bible says God put them there for a purpose, right? For our good. He knows what he's doing, but they are not sovereign. Jesus Christ is the only sovereign one, and he is in control, and it is his kindness that allows us to keep living. It is not his indifference. It is not that he just doesn't care what's going on in our world. It's that he is giving people a chance to repent. He's giving people a chance to join his kingdom, to be forgiven, and to be transformed from the inside out. It's not going to be this, this grand leader that just brings world peace. It says, until Jesus comes and establishes his throne and does away with all that is evil in this world, there'll, there'll always be this tension. There'll always be this wars and rumor of wars. Like, it's going to stay there, but what we can know is that there is a hope to look forward to, that it's not dismal, that we can know that Jesus does have a purpose, and it's less about governmental peace, and it's more about the kingdom of the gospel. So we do have a purpose. We do have something that we can do, because the way that they experience true change, the way that we see those nations transformed is not through a political ruler. It's through their hearts being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about ISIS and terrorist organizations of the world? Do you ever pray for them? Do you ever pray? Like, it seems really far-fetched, right, that that evil could be saved? What you need to know is we have an example of that type of change happening in our Bible, right? The guy that wrote a lot of your New Testament, you may have heard of him, the Apostle Paul. His name used to be Saul, and he was the leader of a terrorist organization that was literally arresting and killing Christians, Jesus showed up, knocked that joker off his horse, and changed his world forever and sent him to be the greatest missionary the world's ever known. What those nations need, what those people need, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, the famous passage that we quote all the time, Romans 10, 9 says, Confess with the mouth, believe in the heart that Jesus is the Lord, that we shall be saved. Amen. Praise God. Right? What that, what's followed in verse 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That is the role of the church. The hope of our broken world rests on Jesus' back. And Jesus' plan A is the church. The way that Jesus plans to reconcile the world to himself, to bring this peace that he's talking about, is through the gospel. And the way the people hear the gospel is that those who have received the gospel go and tell the gospel. That those of us who have been blessed by God, it's not just about it. Like, God's not, like, now that he's found you, he's just done, right? Like, he's, he's hit the jackpot. He can just dust off his hands and sit back and put his feet on. Like, he's done. Like, no, like, that's foolish. The gospel never leads to that type of a posture, right? The, the gospel doesn't lead to this pride and, and self-preservation where I've got to protect me and keep all. Like, the gospel leads to humility and self-sacrifice to the point that Jesus says, we'll just we'll give our lives away. We'll give our lives away, serving Jesus, making much of Jesus. Like those who have received grace will become givers of grace. That those who understand what God has done for them. Did you catch that, that line in Diamond's story? She said, who would, who would do that for someone like me? 
would do that. Have you ever felt that? You're here, Christian or not. You need to know Jesus gave his life for you. Like, he would do that. Oh, he doesn't know what I, if he knew what I didn't know, he knows everything that you've done. He knows your story. He knows your heart. He knows your search history. He knows what you do in the dark. He knows your dick. He knows all of it. And yet he went to the cross willingly. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who would do that, friends? Jesus would. Jesus did. And when we get that, when we get that, Paul says we're compelled. Compelled by the love of Christ. We're compelled to join him in his mission. We're compelled to go and tell. We're compelled to make the world less about me and more about him. And, and, and if it's about him, then there's people who have never heard of him, that, that he died for them. And, and if they don't know, then they can't experience the joy that I have. So I've got to go and tell them that's what happens whenever we meet Jesus. That's what happens whenever we keep our eyes on Jesus. We're compelled to give our lives away for his sake. Verse 5 says, for all the people's Walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. What he's saying is, listen, even in Micah's day, there's already a ton of gods. There's a ton of religions. There's a ton of people that are saying this is the way. He says, yeah, I know there's going to be people walking in the way of their God for years. But he says, there's going to be a day when we will all walk in the name of the Lord. That Philippians 2 says there'll be a day when every knee shall bow. Every person, no matter what country, no matter what religion they're from, no matter what their state of power is, all knees will hit the ground and all tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Period. That's coming. It will happen. No matter if we get involved, if we believe it, if we surrender our lives or not, it's going to happen. Jesus will accomplish his mission, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And listen, if you've thrown yourself upon the mercy and grace of Jesus and, and taken his sacrifice on the cross as your only hope for salvation, then the Bible says that day is going to be a really good day for you. You're going to be embraced by the Savior and welcomed in to heaven forever. But for those who have never trusted in Christ as their Savior, the Bible says it's going to be a really, really bad day for them. And that bad day never ends. It's eternity. It's a reality we don't like to talk about. Right? Hell's not a popular subject. Yet you can't avoid it when you read this. But that's where the people who have never trusted in Christ, that's where they're headed. Whether that's you today and you're just choosing not to, you just you don't want to be part of him, or whether that's the people that are on the island of North Sentinel, India, and they've never had a chance to because they've never heard it. They're on their way to hell. And when we realize that eternity is at stake, then we start living for our God today. That we don't just wait for heaven. We don't just get, receive our salvation and then wait until we get to punch our ticket and board the, you know, the, the, the plane to heaven. Like, no, we, we start living for our God today. We start walking with him in a, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel that's been applied to us. We start asking questions like Diamond did, like, Lord, what, what can I do? Who can I share this with? Where can I go? What do you want me to do, Lord? I think that we need to ask ourselves, what is it like we need to start living now for eternity? That's what Jesus is talking about when he says you should store up for yourself treasure in heaven, right? It's not about this world. It's not about what you can get. It's about treasure in heaven. And the way you do that is to pour out your life for him. And so, listen, 
This is the story which we find ourselves in. This is what God is doing. This is what he's been doing from Genesis 12, the Old Testament. This is what he was accomplishing in Jesus and his work that we celebrate. And listen, it, it's coming. Revelation 7 is coming. Every, every, every tribe, tongue, and nation, that's going to happen. And Jesus invites us to be a part of it. So we get to live our life with, with true purpose. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're like, man, this is all really weird. It's really dark. What you need to know is that the gospel gives us not just a hope for eternity, but it gives a, a purpose for our present. It gives us a purpose for our lives today, a reason why we've gone through what we go, we've gone through, a reason why we've suffered the way we've suffered, a reason why we've been abused the way we were abused, a reason why we have lived the life of comfort that we have, so that we can relate to the people that God has put us around, so that we can have a testimony, so that we could be like, it's no accident that he has you where he has you in February 2019. It's no, listen, it's no accident that you're going to the Super Bowl party that you're going to tonight. It's no accident if you're not going to the Super Bowl party that you're going to, and you're going to order takeout from Walt. It's no accident who you stand next to while you're waiting on your takeout at Walt's. Jesus wants to use you to make much of him. He wants to use you to reconcile people unto him. That's what he's doing. That's the purpose for our lives. That gives us not only hope for eternity, but purpose for today. So are we living for we're living now for eternity. I want to ask a few questions as we end to help us answer that question. And the first one is, how do we view ourselves? How do we view ourselves? As I said earlier, the gospel doesn't lead to pride and self-preservation. It leads to humility and self-sacrifice. The reality is, some of you don't need to be here. Some of you, God is calling to be overseas. Some of you, God is calling to go to the mission field. To go and to, to live your life in amongst the people group that have not yet heard. And the beautiful part, like what God is doing in our world today, the reason that, that Diamond can go to Berlin, like that's a, that's a modern city. Like people in Germany know about Jesus, right? But, but these, these cities are being globalized throughout our world, and the nations are coming to them, right? She said there's 100, over 180 nations in the city of Berlin. That's crazy. You know what? The nations are right down the road at SIU. You know that? But the thing about the globalization of our economy and of our world is that some of you, it's not like you have to go be a full-time missionary and go, you know, plant a church or whatever. Like, you could go and be an accountant in Dubai or Mumbai or Hong Kong. You could go and be a nurse. You could go and be fill in the blank, right? Like, these city, like, God is doing that work because he wants his people to be scattered and to go. And so some of you need to answer that call. Right? I feel strongly that, that there will be, like, we will be sending someone out from within our church. We see that all of this, listen, listen, here's why the gospel breeds humility in us. Do you understand? It is not your choice that you were born wherever you were born in the United States or however you got here. It wasn't, you didn't achieve that, right? You didn't check that box coming off some baby line in heaven and say, I'd really like to be born in the United States so I can hear about Jesus. No, that just happened to you, right? That's God's grace to you. And the reason it brings humility is because unless people like Paul and Barnabas are sent out from the church in Antioch like they were in, in Acts you need to read that. They were like God called them, set them apart, and the church sent them out. And unless they say yes, and unless they go, you and I don't hear the gospel. You understand that? That we hear today, that we have heard today because someone answered the call and they went. That's why we have humility. Like we didn't achieve this, right? 
So we, we now, in turn, we go. So I don't know who that is, and it's not all of us. Like, it takes, takes a whole church, takes a whole people to send and to care for those that go, but there's some in and amongst us that God is calling to go. You need to answer that call today. You, like, we'll walk through it with you. I don't know what that looks like. It's not, you're not going to be packing up for the mission field tomorrow. Like, it, that is, that's not how it works. Right? But you need to say yes. You need to start surrendering that to Jesus. And listen, you need to ask yourself, have, have you surrendered enough to Jesus that you could even hear that call, right? Like, are you even honest with yourself enough that you're listening to where you could actually hear that call? Or have you made a list of all the reasons why you can't? There's some of us that don't belong here. We belong amongst the unreached people groups. How do we view ourselves? How do we view the world's nation, the world and its nations? Just think about that. As we watch the news, we watch all that happens, you're viewing that through a gospel lens first, or your political lens first, or your comfort lens for what like how do you view the world's nations? Are they someone to be feared? Right? Are they someone to stay away from? Someone to pray for? What does that look like? We start. If we, if we look at them through a gospel lens, then, then it's, it, maybe it's a different conversation when we're talking about refugees, right? Maybe it's a different conversation, and it's not an easy conversation. I, I, listen, I say that, and people's p- political lens gets thrown right on what I said, and they're like, oh, you just want to bring a whole bunch of freeloaders in here and let them blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm not saying that at all. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But when we look at the world and its nation's through a gospel lens, we realize that we have a chance to be open arms for people that are running from such evil that we've never even imagined. And not only that, but we have a chance to minister to them. Like our church seen this a few years ago. Where we saw a couple from the Middle East that, that somehow ended up here and got saved. And you know what happened when they got saved? God called them back to the Middle East, to their people, to go and tell them about Jesus. How much, how much more effective you think that is for them to go talk in their tongue with their skin, like, than for one of us to go? Like, God is doing that kind of work, and we need to understand that the, when the nations circle up in pockets in cities like Nashville and St. Louis that we love to go to, or even Carbondale, like, that that's an opportunity for us to serve them, love them, meet them with open arms, and we don't know what God may do through that work. Like, as they meet Jesus here, God oftentimes calls people back to their nations, the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in the United States, could have avoided the, the awful atrocities of the Holocaust, but it felt God, to, God calling him to go back to his people in Germany and to be a prophet, to be a missionary, and to do the work of the ministry. Like, God will do that in and amongst our people. So how do we view the nations? The gospel lens first, and then we, then we talk about policies, then we talk about ways to do that well, but we look at it through a gospel lens for a second. Next, are we raising our kids to be a blessing to the nation? Are we raising our kids to think about being a blessing to the nations? Are we talking to our kids about how they can go and be an accountant or a nurse or uh, a doctor or whatever amongst the nations? Are we talking to them about how, how they can advance foreign missions, how they can do what they're called to do strategically in and amongst these globalized cities, all right? Are, are, we, having, are we celebrating Young women like Diamond that are, that are surrendering their life and going overseas, or are we, are we kind of hoping our kids didn't catch that, right? Are we kind of hoping God calls somebody else? Like, are we teaching our kids to be a blessing to the nations? Are we teaching them to fear turbans and to live out of 
fear and ignorance, perhaps? Or are we teaching them to be a blessing to the nations? Are we, are we praying through those things? Are we talk, as, we, as we watch the news and we watch the fighting, are we talking to our kids about what Jesus wants to do in and amongst those people? Are we having those conversations? And how do we pray? Lastly, how do we pray? How do we pray for our country? The Bible says we're supposed to pray for our country and its leaders, right? When you do that, what are you praying for? You're just praying that God would preserve our comfort and our freedom and our liberty or whatever. You need to understand, like, I love this country. And I believe God has blessed America. You need to understand, America is not the point. America, America is not the new Israel. God has not covenanted with this country. Has he done a great work amongst us? Has he blessed us greatly? Do I think that he intended for us to be a blessing to the nations? Absolutely. But he has not covenanted with his country. So when we pray, are we praying that God's will would be done? Like, I, I don't know what happens to our country. I, I, like, God doesn't speak to me that way. I'm not a prophet to America like Micah was to Israel. That, like, God doesn't speak to me that way. But what I know is his commission to the church is to be faithful, to be about advancing the work of the gospel, to be a, a city set on a hill so that all nations could see, to be salt and light to the world. Like, I know that, right? I know that our calling is to be about the gospel of the kingdom. And so whether America ends up being this superpower that, that helps advance the kingdom for the rest of history, right, that helps usher in all the, the work that God is going to do in and amongst the nations, and we repent, and, and God sends out more and more of us to more and more of the world. Like, whether that's the end of the story or whether he judges us and this place disseminates and, and he preserves a remnant, like, either, either way, however that shakes out, and I am not saying either one of them. My goodness, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I just hear all kinds of misquotes coming out of this one. But, but don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying either way, no matter what the future of America is, you have a responsibility to obey Jesus and, and do what the church has been called to do. Jesus, Micah's speaking to the church. He's saying, my people know what I've called them to do, and I'm asking them to do it. I'm asking them to be about my work. I'm asking them to live the way that I've commissioned them to live. So however this shakes out, I want to be on Jesus' side. I want to be living for him today and not just in eternity. I want to get it now, and I want to be a part of, I want to be used. I want to be a part of the nations coming to know him. I want to be a, see people groups who don't know Jesus' name come to worship Jesus. So how do you pray for our country? How do you pray for our life, for your life, for our church? Is it with all this in mind? Or do we have a narrow short-sighted view of our own comfort and our own freedom. Like, how do we pray? What if we became a people? What if, what if church, what if we listened to Jesus? Isn't that a noble thought? What if we listened to Jesus? We obey, like, I saw a sign at church camp one time with a map of the nations. It says, why wait for a call when you have a command? Like it, what if we actually Listen to Jesus, and we made our lives about making much of him. We made our lives about preaching him to those who have never heard his name. What kind of difference would that make? What, would it, what kind of difference would that make amongst the Journey Church? If we started listening to Jesus, and as those who are called into hard places say yes, and we come alongside them, and we walk with them, and we support them, and we, what if we started adjusting our lifestyle so that those who are called can actually be funded, and those who are called can actually live in and amongst the people and accomplish the work that they are called to accomplish? What if we became those kinds of people? What if we prayed 
and laid our lives down and asked Jesus to do whatever he would with it, what would that look like? Would you be so bold? Jesus says, he sees the crowds, he sees the world, and it breaks his heart. It says in Matthew 9 that he sees them and he has compassion upon them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. He tells his disciples that they should pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he might send out laborers into the harvest field. What if we did that, church? Let's pray. Jesus, would you do that? We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it, and yet you have given us your grace. We don't deserve to be sent out, commissioned by you, and yet you've chose to use us. So we say, first of all, thank you and forgive us for taking that for granted. And we say, next, Lord, would you just take our lives? We, we, we lay them before you. Would you use us, Lord? Would you call us, use us, equip us, help us to overcome our fear for the sake of you and the people who don't know your name. I thank you that you're calling people, even this morning, uh, before the sermon's even preached, I got a guy saying, hey, I want to give some money so that people can go on mission. Praise God for that. That for many of them, for many of us, that's going to be our call, is that you're calling, you're burdening us to give above and beyond and just say, here, I'm called to stay here and send. And whoever's, whoever's going, I want to send them, I want to go. I want them to go. Lord, would you just help us all to see how we fit into this deal and what you're calling us to would you do work even amongst us today that there are people in and amongst this crowd today that are still in bondage to sin, that are still without hope for their own life, let alone the world? Would you be that hope this morning? Would you bring salvation here? Would you loose the chains and bring salvation here this morning? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.